Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adapt us into his own family. This is what he wanted to do. This is what he wanted to do. This is what he wanted to do. We are adopted. Somos adoptados. We are rescued. Somos escogidos. We are chosen. We are chosen. We are chosen. We are chosen. Church. Hope everybody is feeling good this morning. Greece, Webster, Henrietta, you guys feeling good this morning? Aronicoid, everybody feeling good this morning? Yeah. Those of you who are watching with us online, I hope you're feeling well this morning. And I just want to welcome everybody to Northridge Church. Whether you've been coming here for a really long time or you're a guest checking us out for the first time, thanks for being here and welcome to Northridge Church. And this morning we're, we're jumping in, we're diving into a brand new series that we're calling Chosen. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be digging deep, we're going to be understanding and unpacking the theology of the gospel. The gospel is, is really coined the, the good news, the greatest news. It's the story of Jesus who came to rescue us from our sin. And, and I just believe this, that there's many people who, who know the story of the gospel. You can, you can recite the events of the, the, the things that, that are tied to the gospel, but there's a, a big difference between knowing the events of the gospel and having a relationship with the person of the gospel. And so for the next four weeks, we're just going to unpack that. And what we're doing is we're, we're doing something unique, is we're looking at the gospel and what the gospel is and the theology behind the gospel through a lens. And it's a lens, a lens the New Testament gives us an illustration, and it's adoption. Because we have to understand that adoption is a picture of the gospel. The adoption is, is an illustration that God uses in his word so we can better understand what the gospel looks like and what it feels like. And throughout this series, you're going to get to hear some stories of adoptions. You're going to get to hear a, a story of my wife, our family's adoption. For those of you who are guests and don't know this, um, over the last five years, Ashley and I have prayed uh, through an adoption process. And a couple months ago, we headed to China to pick up our son Malachi. And you're going to get to see some footage of our family's adoption. But all throughout social media, you're going to get to be hearing stories of other families in our church and their adoption Journey, And so really the goal here is as we look at the gospel through the lens of adoption, it's so that we understand God's love for us and the gravity of what he did for us. In fact, Romans 8 says this about adoption. It says this, it says, for those who were led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba Father. And so this morning we're starting a brand new series that for four weeks we're going to unpack the gospel through the lens of adoption. And I want to pause here and make a couple things really, really clear at the beginning of this series. First is I want you to understand the goal of this series is not to get you passionate about adoption. That might happen throughout the series. God might move in your family's hearts or your life's hearts and, and you become passionate about adoption. But that is not the goal. The goal is for us to have a better understanding of the story of Jesus Christ. The second thing I think we need to recognize is that all adoptions 
are different. You're going to be hearing stories of of our adoption and others, but we recognize that there's many people in our church who have been through the adoption process, and, and all adoptions are different based on the circumstances and the events that unfold. Another thing we have to understand is I think when it comes to adoption, many uh, adopted families can come across as having a savior complex. And I just want to make it clear that Ashley and our family, uh, family, we we would never claim to be Malachi's savior. That's that's a role that only Jesus Christ can play in his life. And so we, we are just living out the gospel, what God has called us to live out. And so we're sharing our story with you with the goal that it might make the gospel come alive for you. And so in week one, we're going to start just by asking you a simple question. Have you ever been rejected? I mean, I think we all maybe at some point in our life have been rejected. You felt that sting, that humiliation, the pain that is tied with being rejected. You know, I remember my, one of my first tastes of being rejected. It was in third grade when I had this giant crush on this girl named Nicole. I was in love with her. She was a hottie, but the problem was is she didn't want this body. <laughs> Can you believe that? Sorry, Nicole, I, I'm, still, I'm still angry about it if you're watching online. And then, and then you know, as I grew older, I got the, even in more taste of, of rejection when it came to interview after interview, trying to find my first job and, and feeling that sense of rejection. And I think... Probably all of us have been there in some circumstance in our life where we've been rejected. Maybe for you, it was the dating game where that girlfriend or boyfriend that you wanted said no, and you felt rejected. Maybe for some of you, you felt rejection when it came to your job when you were laid off because the company didn't understand what you brought to the table. You felt rejected. For some of you, you felt rejection in your marriage because you're walking through a messy divorce because your spouse no longer wants you. You know what the pain of rejection is like? For some of you, it's with your kids, where they don't want to have anything to do with you, and you feel that humiliation. You feel that pain of rejection. And I think we have all been there at some point in our life being rejected. And you want to know who can relate? God can. Because at the beginning of the story of the gospel, God was rejected. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the very beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. If you're using one of the Northridge Bibles, it's going to be on page 1. And I think sometimes we, we, we forget that the Bible, although it's filled with many stories, there's tons and tons of stories in your Bible, historical stories from the New Testament and the Old Testament. But all of those stories, if you pile them up into one thought, it leads us to the gospel. And we're going to start at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Bible and the first line of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created. And so we believe here at Northridge Church that God's word is our authority. It's true and it's accurate. And we believe that God created everything in six days. And then he rested on the seventh. He created everything from land and sea to animals and plants and fruits and and, and the human race. And and you know what? Maybe you're here this morning and you're just not there yet. You know, this whole evolution and this whole creation battle, you're just not sure where you land. And I just want to tell you, thank you for being here this morning. It's okay that you haven't landed there yet, but we believe here at Northridge Church that God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. And later on in chapter 1, God creates it all, and then he evaluates it. Verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Let me just translate that for us. God saw all that he had made, and it was perfect. It was flawless. 
And I don't know about you, but when I read Genesis and the story of the Garden of Eden at the beginning when it was perfect, I, I just want to know what that was like. I, I try to picture in my head what, what would a perfect world look like. But I, I feel like I always fall short because I'm so used to and we're so used to living in a broken world. A world marred by sin. I mean, just yesterday, we saw how broken our world was when a madman decides he was going to shoot people in a synagogue. And it's hard for us to fathom what it must have been like in Genesis chapter 1, where God created this perfect world for Adam and Eve to live in. What must that have been like? And I think we fall short of of seeing it, but I want to give you a little glimpse into that world, that perfect world that God created For some of you, this first thing won't seem perfect, but every human and every animal was a vegetarian. Some of you are like, oh, that doesn't sound perfect. Can I get a steak or a hamburger? Like, can I get amen? Amen. That's right. But that was true about the beginning. Man and animal ate vegetarian. They were vegetarians. Genesis chapter 1, it says this. It says, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath and life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And so here you have Adam and Eve eating fruits and vegetables, and then next to them is a lion chewing on some broccoli. But the point here is not this dietary idea. It was the fact that there was no shedding of blood, no murder. No blood was shed in this perfect world. Could you imagine what that would be like? We wouldn't have any news to report. I think the second thing that was amazing about this perfect world that God created was there was no shame or guilt. I mean, can you imagine that for a second? You see, some of us, we can't because we carry our shame and our guilt around with us everywhere we go. But it says this in Genesis 2. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I mean, that's how how perfect this world was. Adam and Eve, they're walking around buck naked and it's not awkward for them. It's not weird because there was no shame. There was no guilt. What a world. But the best thing about this world was nothing hindered Adam and Eve's relationship with God. There was nothing to get in the way. In fact, Genesis gives us this, alludes to this fact that God's presence walked with them in the garden. It spoke to them directly. This is what it says in Genesis 3. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Imagine a relationship with God where his presence is, is walking with you, and it's speaking to you, and there's absolutely nothing to get into the way of that. That was the perfect world that God created for Adam and Eve to enjoy. He gave them one simple rule. Hey, enjoy all of it except one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of that tree. So we don't know for for how long Adam and Eve joined the the, the splendor of the garden, but one choice was about to ready to wreck it all, to change it all. Adam and Eve are confronted with a serpent, and the serpent says, hey, God's holding back on you. You see that tree he doesn't want you to eat? That's because you'll be like him. When you eat of that tree, you'll become like God, and he doesn't want that for you. So Adam and Eve are deceived. Genesis 3, it says this in verse 6. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And right here, Adam and Eve reject God. 
They reject his command. They're disobedient to God. And I think for a moment we have to pause here and understand the gravity of what's taking place in this moment in Scripture. The gravity of it theologically and the gravity of it practically on all of our lives. Because right here, Adam and Eve disobey God. They reject God's commands, but they're not the only ones who reject God in this moment. A story that was thousands of years ago still impacts our life today. Because do you realize that not only do Adam and Eve reject God here, but so do you and I. So do you and I. From this choice, we all reject God. You see, we all reject God through Adam's sin. We all reject God. In this moment, we reject God. And every single person from this moment on is born rejecting God. In fact, this is what it says in Romans chapter 5. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. You see, every single one of us through this choice thousands of years ago reject God. We're born rejecting God. And some of you might see, say, well, that's just not fair. That's, that's not fair that, that that would impact me like that. But the truth is, is we validate Adam's decision almost every single day of our life by sinning. And we have to understand the ripple effect of sin. We talked a little bit about it in, in this last series, Portraits of the King, when we were talked about David and, and Bathsheba, and we talked about the ripple effect, the implications of sin on our lives. And I want to show you two major ripple effects from this choice, Adam and Eve's rejection of God, that affects all of us to this day. The first one is this. It's called a sinful nature. A sinful nature. You see, from... This one rejection, every single person born on this earth, other than Jesus, is born with a sinful nature. We're born sinners. What does a sinful nature mean? Well, it just simply means we are all prone to evil. We are all prone to evil. Our natural tendency in life is to do what's wrong. It's our natural tendency and our natural reaction to circumstances and, and events in our life is, is to do the wrong thing, the sinful thing. And, and some of you this morning, you might push back on me and be like, I don't know, Drew. I, I know some good people in life. I know some people that, have, that live really good moral lives. But the evidence of this, I think, is found in, in, in a small little place in kids. You see, I, I'm in the throes of raising kids right now. I've got three kids. I got a four-year-old, I got a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I got a one-and-a-half-year-old. It's crazy. <laughs> you wonder why I'm crazy. You know why now, right? And you know one thing that, that is true about my kids? is not once did I ever have to teach my kids to do what is wrong. Not once. I never sat down with my, my, my daughter, Joy, and said, hey, let me teach you how not to share with that kid. She got it on her own. And, and, and many of us, we can relate to this because we're parents, we're grandparents, we're teachers, we're coaches, we're nieces and nephews, we're aunts and uncles. And we see it in the kids we interact with every day. I mean, no one in their right mind, no parent, no grandparent, teacher, or coach sits down with the kids and is like, we're going to have a lesson today on what to, how to do wrong. Do you want to know why? Because they're all born with this sinful nature that we're all prone to evil. We're all prone to it. We're all prone to sin. And you know what parents and everybody else spends the majority of time with kids is we try to teach them to do what is right. We try to teach them to do what is godly, to teach them to go against their natural tendencies in life. 
In fact, the Bible speaks to this sinful nature. Romans, or Galatians chapter 5 says this. It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Now this is speaking to Christians. It says, those of you who have said yes to Jesus Christ, basically what you do with your sinful nature is you crucify it on the cross of Jesus Christ. You see that term in that, that passage, the flesh, it's not referring to your body. It's not referring to your muscles and your tissues and your bones. It's referring to that sinful desires in your heart and in your mind that you're prone to sin. And what happens is when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you crucify that and you live a different lifestyle. You walk away from the flesh or the sinful nature, what's normal to you, and you step into the life God has for you. But I think one of the most relatable passages on the sinful nature is found in Romans. Verse 7, it says this, it says, For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do, now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who does it, but it's sin that's living in me that does it. And, and I think every single person, it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not, you can relate to this passage. Because all of us, we have these desires in, in our life to, to make change. You know, hey, I don't want to talk like that anymore. I don't want to treat my spouse differently. Or I want to be a better college student. Or I want to, I want to study harder. We all make these aspirations in our life to, to do something better, to change in our life. And we set this goal, like this is what I want to do. And, and for all of us, we set these awesome aspirations. But I don't know if you're like me, but I find myself failing more than achieving. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, you know that good that you want to do? I, I try to do it, but... My struggle is I keep doing the things I don't want to do. Anybody relate to that today? Yeah, I mean, I think we all can. And, and Paul says, you want to know why? Do you want to know why you don't do the things you want to do and you do the things that you don't want to do? It's because it's sin living inside of you. It's your sinful nature that you have to battle against every single day. And that's a ripple effect of Adam's rejection of God. But the second one is even greater. It's even worse. You see, it's a broken relationship. The second ripple of Adam's choice, his rejection, is a broken relationship. You see, go back to the perfect world that he used to live in. God walked with them in the garden. God spoke to them directly, out loud. There was absolutely nothing between God and man. It was this beautiful relationship. And all of a sudden, it changed. It was broken by sin in Adam's choice to reject God. And here's what we have to understand about sin, is sin separates us from a holy God. That's the result of sin, practically in our life and theologically, is sin separates us. It puts a barrier, a chasm between me and God. Because God in his holiness, in his perfection, he's without blemish, and a holy God cannot tolerate sin. And so what it does is it separates me from God. It separated Adam and Eve from God. In fact, Isaiah says it like this. It says this. It says, but your iniquities, that's sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And practically, here's what it looks like. It says, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. You see, this rejection, it rippled into all of us being sinners. And that sin, the result of that sin is it separates us from the relationship we need the most. It separates us from God. And you know what we try to do? I mean, most of us, at some point in our life, we've, we've tried this. Is, you know, we, we recognize that, man, I am a sinner. 
You don't need probably, for most of us, we probably don't even need to look any farther than our own life to recognize that the Bible's true on that. We're all sinners. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. You'll get a good glimpse of a lot of sinners. We're all sinners, and so we recognize that. It's, it's hard to avoid that truth. And so what we do is we say, okay, my, I'm a sinner, and my sin has caused this separation from God. And, and so the way we live is we say, okay, I, I've created the problem. I am the problem. I'll fix the problem. That's what we do is we spend the majority of our lives trying to fix the problem. Okay, if there's a separation, I'll build a bridge back to God. And, and the way I'll do that is majority of us is we, we try to live a, a good moral life. I'm a sinner and my sin is pretty heavy, but if I just outweigh that sin with goodness, I'll serve the homeless, I'll love people, I'll tell people about Jesus, I'll serve in the church. And if I can get my life to a standard of morality that is acceptable to God, he'll accept me. And honestly, for a lot of you, that's where you're at right now. You recognize you're a sinner, and you are banking on your goodness, your power, your might to fix the problem that sin created. And here's the re result of that. It always fails. No goodness, no power, no might will ever conquer what sin brought. You don't have the capacity to overcome the sin problem in your life. And so you know what that leaves us? Hopeless. Hopeless, honestly, that's, that's kind of where we're left, is we're hopeless. We're all born sinners, and sin separates us from God, and we can't fix it. And so we're in this island altogether, sinful, and we're hopeless. Adam's sin places us all in a hopeless situation. We can't fix the problem. There's nothing that we can do. And so honestly, what, what, what do we do? And do you want to know who else found himself in a hopeless situation? It was my son, Malachi. You see, from day one, because of a facial deformity, he was placed in an orphanage. And there was nothing, no good behavior, no loving his nannies enough would fix his circumstances that he faced. Check this out. Malachi's story begins with rejection. He was probably just a few days old when he was found outside of the orphanage in a basket. And he had been left there possibly just a few days old. We got to read his records of being found and it just talks about how it was an infant boy and he's breathing normally, and he's wrapped in a blanket, and he's by himself. The orphanage, uh, they sent out a newspaper article in the local newspaper to all of his family, any kin that he might have had, saying, hey, here's this boy and his name and where he was found, where he was from. And they were trying to find some family that would want him, that would 
choose to take them into their family. And over the course of a couple months, putting that ad in, in the paper, no one wanted him. No one called, no one said, that's my cousin, that's my nephew. No one responded. You know, in this culture, they want perfection. It's a big thing, you know, in this culture, you're only allowed to have so many kids, and so the kids that you do have, they want to be perfect. And for Malachi to have a cleft palate, it was a big deal. That was a, that was just something that they didn't want to deal with because he wasn't perfect. And because he wasn't perfect, he was rejected. He was really despised. He was looked down upon because he had a facial imperfection. So the culture said to get rid of him, abandon him, leave him be. Malachi, today is the day. It's the it's day that we've been waiting for for five years. It's been a, a long journey, and I, I don't even know how I feel right now. Um, we're just a few hours from meeting you for the first time, and I am I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm scared, but I'm also excited. Um, I hope you, you like us. I hope that today is a day that you've looked forward to, and um, we were just at the grocery store picking up snacks for you, and we had no clue what you are going to like or what you would dislike, but we're getting ready to get in the car and, and meet you, and I can't believe it. Um, we've prayed for this moment. We've wished for this moment, but it, it doesn't even feel real. Um, I can't believe it's today. And so I, I can't wait to meet you, buddy. Malachi, we have waited for five years to meet you and today's the day that that gets to happen and I'm super emotional and scared and excited all at once but we know that God picked you to be in our family and God picked this moment and we just can't wait to meet you. God chose this day before you were even born, before we even knew we were going to adopt. God chose this day for us to meet you. And we want you to know that whether from the start you, you like us or you don't, we're gonna love you, we're committed to love you and walk with you through this journey. Um, you're part of our family. And I know Joelle and Ruby Kate can't wait to meet you. And so we're coming to get you. And we can't wait to meet you. Uh, we feel um, so excited to bring you home and we dream that you will just fit right in with our family and I dream that you and your sisters are very close and that you're each other's favorite person to play with. I dream that you and Joelle wrestle because she really wants a brother to wrestle. And I dream that you're close to your dad because Drew is always close to his dad and so I think that's really important. definitely some of the big dreams that we have for you, that I have prayed for you.
you think of his life, all he's known is rejection. I mean, he was dropped off from day one of his birth. Every day he woke up reminded of his rejection in his orphanage, surrounded by other kids who were with him. Um, he carries his rejection on his face. I mean, even just carrying him around um, Guangzhou, people stared at him. Why would you want a baby like that? Even when his nannies brought him on the train to meet us, they put a mask on his face to cover up his uh, cleft palate because in this culture, it's, it's just not wanted. Here we are wanting to love this little boy and he's not sure he wants to love us. All he's known is rejection and now his response to us is to reject us at first, to to push us away, to be scared. And it's crazy how you do the thing that was done to you, not knowing what could be or what might be. Um, here he is rejecting the very thing that he probably needs, which is love. think one of the hardest things I've ever faced in life was that moment when we first met Malachi. Um, it was something that we prayed for for five years leading up to this journey. We prayed for a boy or a girl not knowing what God would have for us. And I remember that day. It's something in the adoption world they call gotcha day. It's the day where you get to meet your son or your daughter. And in China, they lined us up on this backdrop and, and you just waited and they would bring out one child at a time and you waited for your child to come and I remember the first time I, I saw Malachi and he was walking towards us and you could just tell he was scared. He didn't know what was going on and he walked about a quarter or three quarters of the way to us and he stopped and you could tell he was like, I don't want to go with him. <laughs> Can't blame him, right? <laughs> and he, if you gave him the choice, he would have went back to his orphanage where he was comfortable. And we scooped him up in our arms, and man, that week was the hardest week I've ever been through in my life because no matter what I did, he didn't want anything to do with me. I would try to hug him and kiss him, play with him, high-five him, and he would just scream and cry or go limp on the floor. And here this boy was. And honestly, what he needed was just someone to love him. Something that he's never experienced before. I mean, his nannies did the best that he, they could. But he's never experienced love before. And here we are, wanting to love this boy. And he didn't want it. He rejected it. And for some of you, I think the way I felt about Malachi is the same way God feels about you. Because here we are in a hopeless situation, caught in our sin. And the only thing that overcomes our hopelessness is the love of Jesus Christ. And for a lot of us, for some of us, we're rejecting the very thing that will save us. And maybe that's you this morning, where you're rejecting the love of God you desperately need in your life. You're rejecting the love that you desperately need, the love that will overcome your hopelessness and give your life purpose. Honestly, for some of you, you're just like my son Malachi was in that first week. 
You didn't understand it. Maybe you didn't fully fathom it. And so you pushed against it. You rejected it. And I don't know if that's you this morning, but I would urge you and I would plead with you. Maybe today it's come full circle where you recognize how much God does love you. And then he went out of his way to show you he loved you by giving up his one and only son. And the thing that will keep you from his love is simply you rejecting it. And maybe today it's simply saying, God, I need your love in my life. And if you have questions about that, if you're not sure about that, talk to somebody. Talk to a campus pastor. Talk to your community group leader. Talk to, to e email me. I don't care what it is, but don't leave here today without answering those questions. Because the thing that gets you out of hopelessness in your life isn't you living a good life. It's you submitting and surrendering to the love of God that is always there for you. But yet for many of us, we've, we've made that decision in our life. We've said yes to Jesus, and he's, we've experienced his love, and his love has moved us from hopelessness to purpose and to meaning. And man, if you're here today and, and, and you have accepted the love of Jesus Christ, you're a, a Christian here this morning, you've made Christ the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, I would ask you, how grateful are you for that love? Because I, I think for many Christians today, we view the gospel as something that people who are far from God need, and we fail to realize that the gospel is the driving force behind who we are and who we become every single day. And, and I, I think the gospel should, be, should hold such dear meaning to us because I think for many of us as Christians, we've been following God for long enough that we've forgotten how bad it was in our life before we met Jesus. We forgot how hopeless we were because we've been following God for 13, 15, 20, 70 years. And honestly, we've lost how desperate we were in need of God's love in our life. How God saved a wretch like me and, and a wretch like you. And he pulled you out of hopelessness and he gave you hope and he gave you purpose and he gave you meaning. And I think some of us, we, we've forgotten that. We've become numb to that. And I just believe as Christians, when we are truly thankful and grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved us from our sin, it should move us somewhere. I would ask you this question, what does God's love for you require of you? What does God's love for you in, this, in your sin require of you? You see, I believe God's love for me and God's love for you should lead you to something. And that blank, is, 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 there's nothing to write in there because it's not something that I can give you. It's something that you and God got to figure out. But I believe God's love should lead me to share my story, to tell people about the greatest news that saved me from hopelessness and gave me purpose. But why have so many Christians gone silent? You want to know why? Because we forgot who we were before we met Jesus Christ. I think God's love should move us to love people differently. I think God's love should, should move me to live differently. And my challenge for you as a, as a Christ follower this morning, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to fill in that blank. And once you fill in that blank and you conquer that thing, you fill in that blank again. Honestly, that's what our lives should look like as Christ followers is we leave that blank full and when it becomes empty again, we fill it again. God, teach me, mold me. Craft me. So my challenge for you is, what needs to go in that blank? That God loved me enough and his love should lead me to what? And maybe this week, maybe tomorrow in your time with God, you fill in that blank and you say, God, help me love my neighbor better. 
God, help me live differently. God, help my marriage because your love should make me treat my spouse differently. You see, I don't know what it is for you, but I would challenge you to fill in that blank because the reality is, while we were still sinners, rejecting God, rebelling against God, running from God, not wanting to have anything to do with God, he still loved us. Let's pray. God, your, your gospel should never get old to us. The fact that you loved us when we weren't lovable, when we weren't worthy of it. The fact that you gave up your, your son for wretches like me is just an amazing story. And it's the only story that can change our eternity. It's the only story that can take us in our hopelessness and move us to hope. And so, God, I pray that if there's someone here today who hasn't stepped into your gospel and your love, that you would, your spirit would move them, that your spirit would guide them to make that decision this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.